Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Adam Morgan. In just about two weeks, a number of us will try yet again to make New Year's resolutions. Actually, making resolutions is easy. Keeping them, well, that's another matter. The dictionary describes change as to make different in some way, to make a shift from one to another. And change tends to be at the center of our resolutions. Resolutions, we hope, will personally better ourselves through change. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. Psychologist Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark is author of the book, Do Something Different for a Change. It offers the practical strategies and techniques to make the change focus of our resolutions actually come to pass if we are committed to get it done. From personal physical development to career professional growth to better interpersonal relationships, our resolutions can run the gamut. Getting us started early to frame the proper mindset, Dr. Clark makes a house call with us on this edition. I think part of our human nature um, inspires us to want to have change in our lives, and then the other part of our human nature keeps us from doing what's required. And um, in order to have something different, you really have to do something different. Yeah. And just talking about what you want, that's that's the first step, is having a an openness to change, wanting things to be different. But you have to follow that up with doing something different. Uh, talk is cheap, and mm-hmm. a person who has their list of New Year's resolutions really also needs to spend time thinking about their plan for how they're going to implement that. Is that the thing, though? People like to give lip service to it, but when it comes to practically putting it into operation, maybe they don't have the tools to do it. That's true. Um, you know, we may we may need a coach, we may need a teacher, we may need to take a class, we may need a personal trainer, um, but what you need that no one else can give you is the courage and the determination to mm-hmm. implement the changes you want. Uh, people can help you and come alongside you and encourage you, but they cannot do it for you. So mm-hmm. I think that really is the piece that's often missing. You know, talk is cheap. People do talk about it and they think about it and fantasize about it, but they ultimately need to. You you said something very key with your initial question. Uh, why is change so hard? You know, because it's hard yeah. is why sometimes people just talk about it. In my experience, um, there's two other barriers. In addition to change being hard, change is scary and change comes at, at a cost. Yeah. So those are, in my experience, the three primary barriers to change. It's hard, it's scary, and it comes at a cost. Well, your book is called Do Something Different for a Change, an insider's guide to what your therapist knows but may not tell you. Well, we won't go into that part yet, (laughs) but it's the Do Something Different for a Change. And I I really love the way you've done with your chapters, especially the first one, Time to Get Out of Bed, Broken, Empty, and Disconnected. (laughs) Give us some insight to what you mean by that. Sure, sure. Well, you know, the subtitle is An Insider's Guide to What Your Therapist Knows and May Not Tell You. And um, I'm an insider. (laughs) your hairdresser, too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm an insider because I am a clinical psychologist and I was a therapist for many years. And in my experience as a therapist, but also just in my experience living life, Um, I think that the challenges we encounter as human beings Mm -hmm. all boil down to or have their root um, 
causes, the three core issues that people uh, struggle with, I believe, are feeling broken, feeling empty, and feeling disconnected. And yeah. so, you know, that makes the acronym BED. So we end up in BED, is the, the phrase I like to use, just as a course of, of getting through our lives, um, we end up in BED. Can the confusion come because we're broken about one thing but not something else, and so therefore we think we're okay, and we don't need a lot of fixing, just some, and maybe I can do it later because I'm okay over here and mm-hmm, over there, but mm-hmm. not in C and D. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, does that characterize humans kind of accurately? Or, or I think close? so. Um, one of the things I write about in my book is that you really need to f- fix what needs fixing. Um, Leave some things alone that really aren't broken and fix what actually needs fixing. And people can often become distracted um, about what's really going on for them. They just know they're in pain. They know that they're in a rut and they're not changing. But sometimes it is hard to identify and put your finger on what actually is the real issue. Yeah, but do do, do we fix superficial things about ourselves first instead of knowing full well we have to change something serious? But we don't want to deal with that one first. We'd rather go out and change our hairstyle mm-hmm. or lose two or three pounds and then we feel good about ourselves and that way we don't have to deal with the real deep issue. Right. Well, we feel good for a while. And one of the things that I um, highlight in my book is how to achieve lasting change. Mm-hmm. You know, the culture and um, no offense, but the media encourage us to make those superficial <laughs> changes to buy things. Even the psychologists <laughs> come after the media. <laughs> The media, the media and lawyers, <laughs> the butt of every joke. But um, in all seriousness, you know, we do live in this consumer culture. Um, and so we are encouraged to purchase things and, um, you know, uh, buy products and services that often are superficial. And they mm-hmm. they give us this temporary rush. Uh, just kind of as a side note, uh, the American Psychiatric Association is coming out with a new di- diagnostic manual yeah. in another couple years. And right now under investigation is compulsive shopping disorder. And so, you know, that's just a good example of um, a reflection of the culture that people shop often to make themselves feel good. It's an anesthetic. shopping disorder. Compulsive shopping disorder. So all the men listening right there, all the (laughs) husbands are going, oh, yeah, I know somebody who's doing that. Sometimes uh, uh, behavior gets pathologized or over-pathologized, and um, it's not always what it appears to be. But that's just an example of how we can sometimes get into a behavior pattern to superficially address um, what pains us. And we really do have to look at those uh, core issues of brokenness, emptiness, and disconnectedness. Are mm-hmm. we shopping to fill that emptiness? Or are we shopping um, because of the thrill uh, that it gives us, and that's an anesthetic for the pain that we feel in our brokenness? People afraid to look in the mirror and see who's actually there? I think so. Um, part of what makes change hard is um, it is painful, and sometimes we do have some shame about the choices we've made. We don't feel good about ourselves perhaps because we've been conditioned by other people, especially as kids. If we have very negative messages spoken into our lives, we may internalize that. And it makes it difficult to face who you really are and make the difficult changes that maybe are required. One of the things you say, too, is that change takes 
patience. Mm -hmm. And in this microwave, we got to have it now society, which we're speaking about before societal, uh, the influences that society has now. Mm -hmm. How do we get enough patience to see the work that we're doing um, become fruitful for us? Yes. Yeah. But that's, I call it the same thing, a microwave and drive through, you know, society that we live in. (laughs) And the sad irony is, uh, we're conditioned to want everything quickly, and then when we can't wait, we get diagnosed with ADD and impulse control disorder. So it's kind of um, we get caught between a rock and a hard place. But if we just need to work on change for ourselves, do we have to go so deep where we have a counselor who's going to diagnose us with well, ADD and that, or something? Yeah, that, well, that's my point is that, um, you know, obviously if you have a severe mental illness, you should uh, seek professional sure. psychiatric or psychological help. But the average, quote-unquote, ordinary person doesn't necessarily need psychotherapy. And psychotherapy, research has shown, is effective. It Mm -hmm. does work. Uh, but what but everybody I, doesn't need it. Not, not everyone needs it. But a lot and of not, people think they need it. And not all psychotherapy is going to actually help you change. And, mm-hmm. uh, again, I, I talk about that in my book as well, uh, that you, if you're going to seek psychotherapy, you need to make sure you're in the right type of therapy that will help you change and not just allow you to hide out. Some mm-hmm. people are in therapy because they're really actually not willing to make the changes they need to make. And they can tell people, well, you know, I am in therapy after all, but they're not necessarily changing. Well, for those people who cannot afford therapy or Mm -hmm. who do not have assistance programs with their companies, but who maybe had a uh, not that good of a year Mm -hmm. and they Mm -hmm. just want to, what do I have to do to make next year better? Or maybe that relationship didn't go the way I really wanted it to. And maybe it's me, maybe it's him, maybe it's me, maybe it's her. Mm -hmm. And they pretty much practice on themselves. Yes. And again, I'm in no way suggesting someone who needs therapy should, you know, they should seek it. But again, not everyone needs to be in therapy and you need to make sure you're in a therapy that's working for you. So there are folks who, you know, like you mentioned, they have some ordinary types of things that we all go through. uh, And that's the whole notion of being in bed. There are just things we go through in life that will cause you pain and cause you to feel empty at times or feel disconnected. And it's my contention and my experience that just given enough time, those things do pass. What gets us stuck in a rut are the the solutions we attempt to address that uh, brokenness and emptiness. Give us an example of some uh, some solution we we may attempt. Maybe the job didn't go right, but we still have it. Mm -hmm. But we thought maybe we were going to be climbing the career ladder a little better, Mm -hmm. but we're not there yet. Yeah. So maybe we we decide, you know, they didn't promote me and they're unfair and look how they treated me. So I'll show them. I just, you know, I just won't talk to people anymore. I'll ignore them or I'll be rude to them or whatever it is that you come up with. That really actually really isn't going to help. That's your solution Mm -hmm. to the pain you've experienced, but it, it will be a failed solution. And when we get into a pattern or habit of these failed solutions that have good intentions, it was intended to help us cope with the pain we're feeling. But it's those failed solutions that actually cause us to remain bedridden. Instead of those feelings passing over time, these failed solutions actually exacerbate the pain we feel. And they can become habitual. And they become patterns and maybe even a part of our personality. And then we end up um, getting bedridden. And uh, we experience suffering, which mm-hmm. is, you know, these, this pattern of failed solutions that I... In a rut. 
in a rut, and it's characterized by um, pain that's out of proportion to what actually happened to you, a pain that lingers far longer than you would expect. Now, do we, you know, the woman just kicked me to the curb again, you know, it's happened again, woe is me, I'm having my own pity party. Do people blow their circumstances many times out of proportion to what really happened? Most definitely. Psychologists refer to that as making mountains out of molehills Uh or catastrophizing. Okay. And that's part of, um, and we're kind of jumping a little bit ahead, but one of the things I talk about in my book is once you understand some of the common barriers to change and how we end up in these ruts to begin with, I offer some strategies to help you overcome those. It wouldn't be fair for me to say this is your problem and then offer some strategies. And you can easily remember the strategies by thinking of the ABCs. Uh, And the A stands for attention, the B is beliefs, and C is choices. Uh, So when you talk about blowing things out of proportion, making mountains out of molehills, catastrophizing, um, that addresses the B in that A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. And so it's these beliefs that we have about ourselves, sometimes that are irrational, erroneous, um, false assumptions, uh, that kind of thing. But we all think that, hey, I'm an adult. I've been through life. I know what's going on. But stuff happens to me. Mm-hmm. We get into a pattern sometimes mm-hmm. of repeating the same things. Yeah. And I know you've probably heard it. I've, I've heard girlfriends say it all the time. Lud, I'm so tired of being sick and tired. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you get over that? Well, or or at, least, at least give us one step, the first step yes. a person should take to well, get over f- being sick and tired. The first step is to, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Okay, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, so what are you going to do? Sometimes we have to be sick and tired enough. And there are people who, maybe they're hard-headed, I'm not sure, who need to hit rock bottom before they get motivated to make some changes and do something different. They actually have to hit rock bottom? Some people actually do. And you wonder, how far do you have to fall? How down do you have to be? Before you realize you can do something different. You don't have to keep walking the same path in the same rut. What does a person have to see in themselves to know that they're a person that has to hit rock bottom mm-hmm. so they don't do it anymore? Yeah. Is, there, is there a clue or something that they can say, yeah, whoa? I think when you hear yourself saying things like, I'm sick and tired of being sick and, sick and tired, you yeah. need to take a look. And th- this is part of the problem, Adam, of why I think people get stuck in ruts to begin with. We're not introspective enough. We don't sit quietly and still often enough to really reflect and evaluate and monitor our own behavior. Now, are we talking about meditation here? Not necessarily. No, I mean, if that's a mechanism that you can use to achieve this state of um, introspection, you know, by all means, go for it. But not necessarily meditation. It really is putting aside your busyness. And we're just in a a culture, our society at this time, you know, at this point in time, I think, is um, overextended, busy. People are experiencing stress-related illnesses at higher rates than ever. I think we're just in a time and a culture where people don't sit still. And some of that may have to do with the pain they face. You talked about earlier, looking in the mirror, facing themselves in the mirror can sometimes be painful Mm -hmm. to sit quietly and actually hear what you're saying to yourself, hear what you believe about yourself, whether it's it's accurate or false, it can be painful. And so I think one of the things folks need to do to help make themselves feel sick and tired enough is sit still for a minute. We thank Dr. Peggy Mitchell-Clark for joining us on this edition to help us achieve the change we mentioned in our New Year's resolutions. We hope it helps to get you started just a little early. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Stay on your game. And we thank you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.